We've been talking about this concept of um, believing, receiving, and become. We believe in Jesus. We re, as we as we believe in Him, we uh, commit to this followership of Him, and we and we receive Him. We receive His presence uh, living inside of our lives. And, and a few uh, the past few weeks, we've been talking about um, a lot of times it's easy for us to hit that wall, you know, that wall in our spiritual walk where it's, we're anything but joyous, we're anything but excited, we're anything but, you know, um, kind of content. And so, you know, and, and as humans, it's, it's easy to hit that wall from time to time because that's just it. We're humans and we're all on this road, we're all on this journey, this spiritual journey to become more like Christ. At least hopefully that's what we're doing. But at times we, we hit that wall. And so the, I think many of us that's sitting in here this morning, if we have a relationship with Jesus, we may, we may be sitting in here this morning, we're like, yeah, I can really relate to that. And I've, I, and I've been in this funk for a while and I've, I've hit this wall and, and, and you acknowledge it, but the next question is this. Okay, I understand now what you know how do i get over this wall how do i bust through this wall how do i break it down how do i keep from these this wall from kind of rebuilding itself from time to time and so that's what we're talking about today we're going to talk about uh the very kind of the beginning to talk about the very essence of that and in this big pick as we call it the big picture the big pick we have presence identity and calling and so what happens is when we when we come to jesus or when we uh when we believe and receive when we begin to become this reality these three realities begin to take place his presence lives inside of us his presence literally lives inside of us through the holy spirit remember we talked about this a little bit but uh, last week when jesus said you know i'm going to leave he told his disciples i'm going to leave but you've got to stay here because i got a gift for you and when he talked about that, he said, I've got a gift for you, and it's the Holy Spirit. He's going to come, and He's going to live in your hearts. He's going to live inside of you, which up until this point, the Holy Spirit didn't live inside. In the Old Testament, it, was, it wasn't that type of reality yet. And Jesus had to come and fulfill His part so that the Holy Spirit could come and do His ministry. And so when we talk about the presence, we talk about believe, receive, and become, and we talk about His presence living inside of us, that's the thing that gets us through the wall. That's the thing that keeps, hopefully, the wall from continuing to build up is that we have the presence of Jesus, His Holy Spirit living inside of us. That's a reality that Satan wants to, to get us deceived on. I mean, that's like one of the basic realities that Satan just wants to keep us in the dark about. Could you imagine what it would be like if every person that confessed to be a Christian understood what it meant that the presence of God lives inside of them? I think we would see things, I think things would be a little bit vastly different. I think our churches would be a little bit more filled, but more filled maybe not in just numeric number, but with excitement and this, 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 this thing that would be so contagious that every one of us would be like so on fire, you know, with, with His presence living inside of us. Knowing that whatever God is asking us to do, wherever Jesus is leading us, we know that His presence lives inside of us and we're going to be able to accomplish anything that He asks or directs us to do. For a lot of us, we struggle with that at times because we don't know. It's, it's that trust. It's that faith. It's, it's, it's that implicit faith in Jesus that says, regardless of where you take me, I believe, I, I mean, I will go there. I will do whatever it is. Whatever you do, I will be obedient and I will follow. I will follow after you because I've committed my life to you and I want to become more like you. And I think if each of us would just grab a hold of that 
concept, that truth that His presence lives inside of us, then it takes us to the next one, which would be our identity, which we understand. My identity is in Jesus Christ. My identity is not in my job. It's not in my clothes. It's not in my cars. It's not in my recreational sports. It's not in what my kids do, the sports that they play. I don't live vicariously through them. I don't live vicariously through these other things. My identity is rooted and nestled in the uh, in the work of Jesus Christ because His presence lives inside of me and from there flows the calling. I've got a call upon my life. My job's not my calling. My family's not necessarily my calling. Church is not necessarily my calling. My calling is that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ and He may lay something on my heart and I will fulfill that. I will go wherever He takes me, wherever He wants me to go, whatever He wants me to do. And we begin to discern and discover that calling for ourselves. And as we begin to live our lives like that, we become more like Jesus. His Spirit literally transforms who we are. I'm no longer Gail. I'm, no, I'm, I'm Gail controlled by Jesus. So every decision I make will be filtered through what is it that Jesus wants from me? What is it that He wants me to do in life? What is it, where is it that He wants me to go? What is it that, what task that He has for me or where is He leading me? Because that's where I've got to go. That's what the big pick looks like. For some of us, as we've been talking for the past few weeks, we get hung up on the gate. For some of us, we get hung up on the gate, meaning that we got our wristband, our barcode, we've received salvation, so I can just kick back and wait till Jesus returns, and He will just come and love me and take me home. And I really don't have to become like Him. I can still be toxic in my conversations at times. My attitudes can run rampant at times. And I get that we're human. I'm not saying that we're all going to be perfect. But would you agree with me? That we would become, as we become more like Jesus, we become less of who we are? Would you agree that if we're becoming more like Jesus, that our thinking begins to change? It's no longer about what I want, it's what He wants. What is it that He wants in my life? What, what is it that He wants to do in and through me? And so these, sometimes we get hung up with that, you know, I've got that wristband. That's what we've been talking about. And so this morning, I want to go beyond that and talk about no. Okay? I want to talk about no. No versus no. Now, the reason why I say it like that is because I think we all, I shouldn't say we all, some of us have heard this before. Uh, this, might, uh, this might be something that you've heard before. It might not be anything new. Uh, but I just want to re- refocus our attention back to this whole concept of truly knowing Him. And the reason why I want to do that is because... In our Western mindsets, Western meaning where we live, not so much the Midwest, I'm talking about the United States compared to you know, uh, the Middle East and, and, and those places, the, the, our Western mindset has this really unique capability, we've talked about this before, of compartmentalizing. Many of us have this really unique concept where we can say, well, I know that this is not good for me, but I'm still going to engage in it. Whereas in another mindset, an Eastern mindset would say, well, you don't really know then. Because if you knew, it would be evidenced in your actions, right? But we have the ability to say, well, here I am today. I'm doing church today. Tomorrow I'm going to work, and that's, I'll be in that slot for a while until about 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock tomorrow evening. And then I'll kick back, I'll kick into the family person. And it's like we have these compartments that we live in. Now, we talked about this in that model where we say, you know, if Jesus is at the center of our model, He is going to affect everything around, you know, around us. Because 
because because we're saturated with Jesus, everything that we do, my family's going to be saturated by Jesus because I'm saturated by Jesus. What's inside of me is always going to come out and affect those around me. And so in my workplace, I'm going to saturate that place with Jesus. In my relationships, I'm going to saturate my relationships with Jesus. Where Whatever I do, I can't help but saturate that around me with Jesus because that is who I am. That's my identity. Does that make sense? But we have the ability to say, well, I did, you know, Sundays is when I do church. This is where I go to church. And technically, the way we should be saying it is, this is where I be church. Now, that doesn't sound too healthy, right? This is where I be church because this is where I am. This is my being. This is, this is who I am. And, and I'm in community with this local body, if that's where we attend. I'm in community with this local body. And so, so it's not, you know, it's, it, it's a shift in our thinking. It's not compartmentalized where it says, well, I'm doing church on Sunday. Guys, you should be doing church every single day of the week. You, you understand that you are the church, the big C, the church, the bride of Christ. We're called. I'm not called to do what I do and you're off the hook. You're called to, to be witnesses as well. We're called to be witnesses it's not like something well you know and we sometimes we rate well that person's a disciple and i'm not really a disciple if you're following jesus you're a disciple we're all in this together and so there's not this compartmentalized mindset that we should have to say this is what i do on this day a week and this is what i do on that day a week now i get that we're sitting here and we're saying yeah i got it i got it i got it but i think it would look a lot different if we all got it because as James teaches, I can, show you, I, can, I can show you faith, but let me show you faith in action. And that's what James is teaching throughout his writing. Faith equals action. That's what I was trying to share with you last week. It wasn't a, last week wasn't a, uh, if you were here last week, it's not about uh, salvation being influenced by works. You know, you don't attain your salvation by works. But the, my perception of it is that when we're saved, our salvation is so dynamic that it affects Everything. I, you know, if I look at my salvation, is it stagnant? If it's stagnant, something's off. My salvation is being, it's in action. It's being demonstrated. It's, it's, I'm growing. I'm producing fruit. My salvation is real. That's like the litmus test. And so this morning I want to share with you here briefly about this whole concept of knowing. Uh, and like I said, in the Western mindset, we can compartmentalize, but in the Hebrew mindset, um, as we look, we're going to look at it today in the, uh, in the form of this word. The Hebrew mindset is all-encompassing. Kind of like that circular thinking. This says, a Hebrew would say, if my doctor told me, if I eat pizza, I will die. So therefore, I don't eat pizza. Okay? That's kind of like what, where we're going with this. This is what this means. It's not, well, yeah, I continue to eat pizza, chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. I believe I might die. You don't believe you'd die. If you truly believed you would die if you ate a piece of pizza, you probably wouldn't eat that piece of pizza, right? But we have this ability to say, mm, there's a lot of gray in there. Well, let's be careful. Because when it comes to knowing Jesus and truly knowing what God desires, or truly understanding what God desires for us, it's not so gray when it comes to the knowing part. Because this word carries a lot of weight in the Hebrew, um, the way it's translated, or the Hebrew uh, root of it. Uh, if some of you are familiar with this, it's called yada, or yada is how you would really pronounce it in the Hebrew. Some of you that are Seinfeld nuts, you know, back in the 90s, 
uh, they used that and kind of made fun of it. And, and, and um, yada is um, referenced 872 times alone in the Old Testament. And the, and the, throughout the word and the root word of it, it's 920 times. It's significant. It's not about just omitting a piece of information about something. If, you know, kind of like when, you know, we might have a conversation and we start in talking about it and I'll go yada, yada, yada and then get to the main point or yada, yada, yada and get to the end, right? Because here's a bunch of yada, yadas you really don't need to know, but this is what I want you to know. That's not what it means, although we've kind of taken it and, and done that with that word. Yada means truly to know. This is what I want to share with you guys, and this is, it has a sexual orientation to it. And I get that we're in church and we're not supposed to talk about those things, right? But it has a sexual orientation to it. When we look at it, that word, when we find, when we find it the first time, it's found in Genesis. And in Genesis 4, chapter 4, verse 1, it talks about, it talks about, um, it talks about Adam Knowing his wife. When you look at that, it's in the context of Adam knew his wife, Eve, and they conceived. Adam knew his wife. That's how deep the knowing part comes to. So the first part of this is it it does have this sexual content or uh, um, essence to it, but it really means much more than that. It means to know. It means that we have, that there's these, there's a lot of versatile meanings to this, several different meanings depending on the context, but essentially it means to truly know something. To truly know someone. And so the first one, the first one I want to share with you is it's not just a sexual innuendo, and the second one is it means it's sharing love. Yada means, well, another component of it, it means it's sharing love. Because like I said, in the Torah, in Genesis 4.1, it says, Adam knew, Yada, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. In verse 17, Cain knew his wife. That Yada word again. He knew his wife, and she conceived and bore, bore Enoch. Adam, in verse 25, Adam knew Yada, his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. So really what this word is indicating to us, when you look and do a Hebrew-Greek study on it, what this word means is, you know something extremely intimately. Now we live in a society that's taken and really distorted and put a, put this, you know, we start talking about these things, we have a warped view on what it means to truly know something. That's why, isn't, you know, it's very amazing because that's why the Bible teaches that it's not okay to have sexual relationships outside of the marriage. It's not okay. Because when we do that, we are so intimate with that person, we become what? We become one. When we have, when we have those types of relationships with other individuals, we become one. Think about this for a second. That's the same type of one that God is saying that I want with you. But we've taken and we've warped it so much that we have all these other relationships that are false and we take it and we take this concept of knowing and, 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 and that's why it's not okay to have those things outside of the marriage. God is saying, that's what it means to truly know someone. I want you to truly know me in that way. That we have this deep, intimate 
relationship with one another. You know, it's hard to even talk about this when it comes to intimacy. Because even if we have these types of relationships outside of the marriage bed, I wonder how many of us that are married doesn't really know our spouse. That in the true essence of this word, we don't truly know our spouse. The very intimate, intricate details of that person. It's kind of hard to compare it. Because when God uses this word, it's such a deep, deep, deep involvement. It's not just something that's just so surface level, but it's something so deep. And God's saying, that's the type of love that I want. When He says no, when you look throughout the, when you look throughout the Old Testament, uh, doing that Hebrew study, and you look up the number, and the number, it's just over and over and over again. It's that same yada, 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 yada. And it's that deep connection of God desiring to know and His people and His children desire, hopefully His children desiring to know God. So it's this concept, it's, it's the sense of, of sharing love. There's also another, there's also another, um, another um, aspect to, to Yadah, and that's this, showing mercy. Uh, it says in Proverbs 12.10, The righteous know, that Yadah, the needs of their animals, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. And what the wisdom literature is teaching us here is that there's this dichotomy between good and evil. And in this case, a good person understands his animals. And he's, what he's pointing out is a good person understands and knows his animals, so he knows how to show mercy. He understands between good and evil, and he understands them. It's understanding the needs, and as it breaks down into people, it's we understand the needs of individuals around us. Okay, It may not be the deepest part of the love intimacy, but pulling back, as we know God, we're able to extend grace and mercy to other individuals because we understand that and we're able to give that. Does that make sense? And so it changes us because we tr- the concept is we truly know God. When we truly know God, we're able to... It goes back, I can't keep from saying it, it goes back to what's inside will come out and affect those around us. If I'm a person that truly knows God, and I have this deep connection with God, this intimate connection with God, where I know His desires, He knows my desires, and this, we have this intimate relationship with God that literally just changes us, I'm telling you what, guys, we are going to affect people around us. We can't help but to affect people around us. To say, well, that's just how I am, you know, because I'm assertive or I'm bold or I'm whatever, and you just have to kind of take my personality that way because that's just who I am. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. Because when God gets a hold of your life and you truly know God, He's going to change you. And you may still have areas that He's polishing. You may still have areas that you're working on. I get that. But I would imagine... The more we know God, the less we're going to have to say, that's just me. That's just my personality. Well, yeah, that's the personality, that's the part of you that needs changed by God. And so there's this deepness that says, I'm going to be a person that understands how to show mercy to other individuals. Because I understand the mercy that I'm received or I have received from God Himself. 
And so we become absolutely changed, completely inside and out, showing mercy. There's another part of this yada found in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament. Acting justly. See, we, this is, a, this is a, uh, another very important illustration. But in this concept, in Jeremiah, at this point, in Jeremiah uh, chapter 22, verses 15 through 16, he says this, But a beautiful cedar palace does not make a great king. This is God talking to the prophet Jeremiah. But a beautiful cedar palace does not make a great king. Your father, Josiah, also had plenty of eat and drink. But he was just and right in all his dealings. That is why God blessed him. He gave justice and help to the poor and needy. And everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to know Yada me? That's what God's telling Jeremiah. I need you to tell these people this. The king this. This is what it means to know me. This, you want to know God? This is where we go back and revisit the Old Testament because God throughout the Old Testament says, this is how you get to know me. This is how you know me. This is how you know me. This is how you know me. And in Jeremiah, he's, he's giving this prophet this, this, this scathing rebuke to the king of Judah to say, hey king, you're acting selfishly. You're taking all of the stuff. You're oppressing the poor. You're not showing mercy to anybody. You're not acting justly. You're pouring it all back into the, you know, to this, this temple or whatever. But the Lord tells this corrupt king that what it truly means to know the Lord. God says, let me give you the definition of truly knowing me. Number one, doing justice. Number two, showing mercy to the poor and needy. And number three, exemplifying good and righteous character. In other words, Yada is faithfully living out our covenant relationship with the Lord in every area of our lives. It's not about coming and just offering sacrifices. We read about that in Malachi. We read about that in Hosea. Where he says, it's not that. I don't want sacrifices. What I want is your heart. I want you to know me. I want to know you. I want to have this deep, intimate, intimate relationship with you. I don't want all this other fluff. I want you. And it goes against the core of us doing compartmentalized thinking. It goes against us coming to church and doing church, but still kind of leaving week after week after week the same way we walked in. God's saying there's so much more than that. I don't want, just, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your heart. I want you to know me. Isaiah 43.10 So that you may know and believe me, God, and understand that I am He. Exodus 33.13 Teach me your ways so that I may know you. Moses is telling him, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And so in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament we talk about this word knowing as it's used in the Old Testament and translated into the English as know or knowledge. The Hebrew word yada is a much wider sweep of a meaning in our English, for our English, the word no. It's much deeper than that. It's much more intimate. The biblical Old Testament word for knowing God means a few of these right here. To perceive. Do we truly perceive God? Do we truly understand God? Do we truly believe God? Do we truly conform to God? Do we truly perform or live to God? Do we truly see and experience God in our lives? Do we truly learn? Do we recognize? 
Do we accept His claims? Are we willing to obey? You see, in the Old Testament, that's what the word no means. It means when I truly know God, when I truly know God, it means that it changes everything. It means that I'm conforming to Him. It means that I'm going to, I understand who He is. I believe in Him. I'm putting my whole life in His hands. It's not about me any longer. It's about God. It's about me living Him. It's about me seeing Him. It's about me experiencing Him. It's about me learning about Him. It's about me recognizing Him. It's about me accepting His claims. It's about me being willing to obey. That's what it means to truly know God in the Old Testament when God says, I want you to know me. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know me. And that same invitation goes out to us today in the New Testament through the, through the person of Jesus Christ. As God said, I will give you yet another revelation of who I am. I will give you my flesh. I will, give, I will, I will come in person so that you can know me. So these words, they all come from that Hebrew word, yada, and they hold important key ways to understand and to truly know God. The opposite of knowing God is not ignorance or lack of knowledge. Okay? Follow me. The opposite of knowing God, the yada, is not ignorance, it's not lack of knowledge, it's rebellion. It's rebellion. God says, I want you to know me. I want to know you. You are my people. And I want to be one with you. Now in the New Testament, it's translated a little bit different. And it has a bit of a wider uh, meaning here. Uh, and it's, um, it's in the context used in the New Testament that, that it always follows. It, it's used in the New Testament, but it also follows the additional meaning to knowing God, what it means. And it really, it's this. To believe and accept Jesus. To know truth. And in John 17, 3, as the worship team comes back up and, and we uh, close here. John 17, 3 says this. If you're familiar with this whole passage, Jesus, it's the we often call the priestly prayer. It's before Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and He begins to pray. And He prays for future believers. He prays, he prays for the current people. He prays. He's, there's a couple different facets of His prayer. And in John 17, 3, He says this. Remember the word we're talking about here. The yada, The truly knowing. Truly knowing intimately. He says this. To know Jesus is to know God. To respond in faith. And He says this. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you. Oh, I know a lot about God. I know a lot about some TV actors and actresses. I know a lot about some sport players, some professional ball players. I can read off some statistics. I think for us sometimes that is the extent of we know God. I've sat through class after class after class. I know who God is. I've studied the Bible. I know the Bible. Some of us went to some of us went to college and we majored in theology. We know a lot about God. But do we truly know God? Do I truly know God? Is He the one that's at the center of everything in my life? 
Is He the one that I intimately know through His Son, Jesus Christ, that, that I know that, that, that God loves me? I know that God has given me, ju- given me mercy and grace. Do I truly know that? Because if I truly know that, that is going to change everything about me. That's going to radically change everything about me. And hopefully that stuff that when you're around me splashes on you because God has changed me. I don't have to sit and always excuse my behavior or personality. There's times that I do because I'm a human. But what if it's because I know God so much that when you're around me, it just splashes on you. It just splashes on you. Is that the type of person that you are as you follow Christ? As you believe, as you receive, as you become, do you truly know God in the essence where you have this powerful, intimate love relationship with Him? Throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, that is the one thing that God desires from us so much. He wants us to know Him the way that He wants to know us. Not this casual, compartmentalized, sterile approach to it, but this intimate love relationship with Him. In the, as I close in the men's study that we have been doing, we've, we've been going through a book called um, uh, Developing the God, Godly Habits Within Our Lives and what those look like. And today we talked about something, which you'll hear about in the future because it just really moved me. We, ta- we uh, read and discussed, uh, it's called Grace Giving. And it talked about tithing, but it talked it from the, from the perspective of grace. And one of the points that he made was this. When we truly know God, this giving isn't an issue. Because we understand how God has moved us so much that, that the reflex of giving back is just there naturally, almost. Because we know God. We know what God has done for us. We know what God, has, I mean, just blesses us with. We have this, just this intimate relationship with God that we just have this reflex. And that's not just through our finances. That's just not through tithing. But that's through mercy and grace that we extend to other people. That's by the way we value other people. That's, it's, it's, it just splashes all over the place because we're just reflexing what God has done in our lives and what we know. But that only comes from truly knowing God and walking with Him in this intimate relationship through His Son, Jesus Christ. My question today for all of us is, do we truly know God that way? Not just some casual head knowledge, but do we truly know God? I pray that as we close with this last song, I pray that you would just allow the Spirit to connect with yours. I believe the Spirit is here this morning. I believe the Spirit is alive. Whether we acknowledge it or not is a pretty, I think, kind of an audacious claim, isn't it? You know, like, well, I didn't feel the Spirit as if I can claim whether or not the Spirit's here or not. The Spirit is alive. The, pro- the reason why we don't feel the, feel the Spirit from time to time is because a lot of times our hearts aren't prepared to hear the Spirit. I pray this might be a time where we just open ourselves up to the Spirit to say, do I, where, do I truly, I mean, how's my walk with you? Maybe it's a time where we confess and say, God, my, my, I, you know, I confess, man, my, I've, been, I've been pretty selfish 
in this relationship. And, and I confess, and I just, I want to give it to you right now. I want to give you my life. I want, I want my life to be separated with you. I want to be like a sponge to where when someone just leans up against me, I'm going to ooze you out. My prayer is that each of us in here this morning might open our hearts and our spirits to that, to His Spirit, to say, here I am. And I pray that we would respond the way He wants us to respond. So I'm going to ask that you would stand with me, and I'm going to lead us into a closing word of prayer. And then um, I would ask that you just respond the way Jesus would have you to respond through His Holy Spirit. Father, I thank You for the words here today, and I thank You that um, they're pretty penetrating. I don't know how we can hear these words and just kind of continue on our lives without stopping and embracing them and doing some introspection. I pray that you would not allow us to do that. I pray that we would not be distracted and and deceived right now, but Father, we would open up our hearts to you and just, you know, if there's places where we need to confess, where we see that we're, we, you know, we're off the mark and our, our relationship with you is not intimate right now or ever has been or whatever it may be. Father, I pray that we just respond to you and allow your spirit to come in and just do his work. And God, we know that you don't reject us. We know that you so desperately draw us into you, that you passionately pursue us. And so I pray that, uh, Father, that we would all find you and maybe another, another side of you, another glance and glimpse of you that we haven't seen before pray that you would just minister to each of us today, right now. And I pray that we would respond. I pray that we would have the courage to respond and to, and to understand that this is the most important thing that we're ever going to deal with in our lives. So I pray that you would just continue to move here in the power of your spirit and that you would find freedom. And I pray and I ask this all in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.